Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Betty's.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I don't think it was quite two weeks, and then it happened. They knew she was missing within 12 hours. The community, her family, they had billboards, they had shirts, they had buttons. Within 48 hours of her missing, they were not messing around. He was nice to me. I felt like he always kind of had a lot on his plate. He lost a brother to suicide when he was younger. So throughout the years, like, you hear the good and the bad. I feel like I was growing up very sheltered. And when I started working, my eyes got opened real big. Like, you meet all sorts of people, and then you meet a murderer. Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm here with Alexis Linkletter. I just got back from the dentist. And you know what? Why are we still doing fluoride? I like it brought me back to when I was like 10 years old. And they're like, you have to wait. You have to wait 30 minutes to an hour. And I'm like, I want to throw up. Wait, they made you slush with fluoride and said, wait 30 minutes or an hour to eat. Like that same bad, but fluoride's in everything. Why are we doing this? I don't know. I don't know if I got like, and of course it's not covered by insurance. Like, did I just get scammed? I'm unsure, but I did it because I was like, prevent cavities. Yay. But that's how I'm at. What's up with you? (laughs) I'm chilling. I'm straight chilling. I'm at her office right now. I know. I'm sad I'm not there. It's feeling good. I just had it cleaned. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it gets dusty. It's old Hollywood. You know, you got to keep a little dusting up. I know. Our nice little goth uh, office. Love it. Do you want to know what day it is today? Please tell me. The days are bleak. It is Boy Scouts Day. Laugh and get rich day, which I'm into. Very into that. We're trying to do that every day. National Kite Flying Day, National Molasses Bar Day, and Propose Day. So if anybody gets proposed to today by their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their partner, they saw the day. And today is the day they're going to do it. Totally. I love it. Well, no good food days, so that's a bummer. But I think that that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. So during the course of our everyday lives, we can open up to people more than we even realize. 
Often, the people we let our guard down with are those who have a physical contact with us during the course maybe of their work or course of the day, particularly when the nature of that contact is caring and not something medical like the doctor or the dentist. The power of tactile consensual contact with clear boundaries in the context of a professional relationship creates kind of a connection. So for people providing that touch as part of their job, like a hairstylist or a massage therapist, they know clients place a huge amount of trust in them while being in a somewhat vulnerable position. And these service providers understand that a central part of their role is to build rapport with people from all walks of life at many different stages of their ups and downs. It's a privilege and special responsibility to be able to provide this to their clients, especially when it's an ongoing relationship. But what happens when someone you've developed this relationship with and someone you've been literally putting your hands on as a part of that relationship does the unthinkable, does something horrible? So we begin today's case on September 3rd of 2017. So it was Labor Day weekend, which was so fun. But unfortunately, natural disasters were dominating the news headlines in the U.S. So residents of Louisiana and Southeast Texas were cleaning up following catastrophic flooding after Hurricane Harvey made landfall. The Category 4 storm killed over 100 people and resulted in $125 billion worth of damage. The La Tuna fire, the largest in L.A. history in terms of acreage, had spread to more than 5,800 acres with a state of emergency causing widespread evacuations. But... The good things on the pop music charts, Despacito, which was such a banger, was the number one spot. Dude, that song fucking is still hits. It's so so good. good. So good. Um, And the second spot was Wild Thoughts by DJ Khaled featuring Rihanna and Bryson Tiller at number two. And at the box office, the highest grossing film was The Hitman's Bodyguard, while the prequel Annabelle creation continued horror fans' obsession with the Conjuring Universe franchise. Right. And the setting for today's story is Wyoming, Michigan. Yeah. So we know there's a state called Wyoming, but there's also a city called Wyoming in Michigan. New wrinkle in the brain there. So situated in the west of Michigan in Kent County, the community of around 76,000 people is the second most populated community in the Grand Rapids metro area. And Wyoming is located just five miles south of central Grand Rapids. So it's more a built-up suburban area. So contrary to what you might expect, like we said, Wyoming's not named after the Midwest state, but after Wyoming County, New York, which is where many of the area's early settlers originated. And manufacturing, of course, plays a huge role in any economy. And this rings true for Wyoming's, right? So there's auto parts, there's industrial machinery, plastics, food processing, and electronics. All are things that go on in terms of major sectors of production in Wyoming. And our first degree for today's case is named Cassie. And something really interesting about Cassie is she was one of our first degree guests back in episode 208. So go back and check that one out if you haven't already, because I mean, I think it was one of our best episodes we've had in a long time. Absolutely. It was the episode about upskirting, which was a really fucked up sex crime, which is becoming more and more prevalent. And she did such an amazing job of being our first degree for that story too. But in context of today's story, Cassie grew up in the Grand Rapids area, which we know Wyoming is a part of. Right. And after finishing high school, Cassie went on to train as a hairstylist. 
and she got a job at the most popular barber shop in town, a place where everyone went to get their haircut. And it was one of those places where generations of families went not just to get their haircut, but to kind of connect as a community social hub. I worked in a well-known barbershop. The people that go there, they've been going there since they've been in high school. Their kids come. Guys would sit down and they'd be talking to the guy in the next chair because they went to high school together or something like that. I was really, really proud because everybody knew what barbershop I was talking about. They knew the owner. They, like, somebody knew somebody or their grandpa went there back when the haircuts were like eight fifty. The barber was in a local mall, and it was kind of the cool place to go to. And Cassie saw most of the men in town walk through the doors, and she pretty much knew everybody that came in. It's in a mall that was popular way back in the day, and it is no longer. And the barber shop is, like, always popping. But the rest of the mall is damn near dead. So we all know the stereotype that hairstylists can kind of become are pseudotherapists. And I don't know about you, Jack, but I certainly, this this resonates with me. Oh my God. I feel like people who have done my hair or done my lashes or my facialists, like anyone who I'm literally like bearing all to, you know, in, in a physical aspect, you tell them everything because you're trying to fill the empty silence. And, you know, you see them like every three or four months. So it's kind of this thing where they, they want updates. Yeah, you're always giving a life update. I remember my my last hairstylist that I had, I would be like, okay, like when when did we leave off? What is?" And I had been going to her when I was dating and I was single. So there was always something new to talk about. But yeah, you have that really personal connection with your hairstyle. If they're a good hairstylist, which they should be because they're kind of like your free therapist. Totally. And they're they're people, people. But I think what we all forget is that we have one of them. We have one hair cellist, but they've got many clients, right? So you never really know how much they're like invested in what's going on with you. But even the most private of people find themselves opening up to their hairstylist, sharing their most personal secrets. So according to The Guardian, this is crazy. Hairstylists are one of the most trusted professions. And when you think about it, it's not that weird. Whether you're getting a trim or a cutthroat shave at the barber, like an old school one where they're like putting knife a to the neck. <laughs> knife to your neck, right? You're trusting these people. And it's kind of a strange situation. We're trusting strangers to hold sharp objects near our necks and not hurt us. But the environment and dynamic is also not as confrontational as a therapist's office. So you're not actually being pressed to share, but you ultimately do because you're in this vulnerable position. So you're not like, looking straight at each other like you would be at a therapist. It's not like somebody laying on one of those couches, like a fainting couch while the therapist is deconstructing (laughs) you. You're sort of looking away. And it's not really the hairstylist's job to give you advice or challenge you about what you reveal, but you do. And so the environment itself is very non-threatening. So if you feel like sharing details of your life, like it's a really good spot to do so. And you can't really be a great hairstylist without being a skilled, active, and empathetic listener and a conversationalist. Like you got to, like your clients have to want to talk to you too, or else it's literally like could not be the worst few hours of your life. It's like, you need to make them want to be in your presence, you know? And after all, you can't meet a client's expectations if you don't listen or communicate effectively and fundamentally understand people on an emotional level. You just have to be, like we said, like a people person. 
And to add on what you said, it's like no one likes an awkward silence. So if I'm going to share my deepest, darkest shit with you without, you know, any permission to do so, you better respond okay. Like if there's an awkward silence after I share an awkward moment with you, like (laughs) I'm never coming back. I'm not coming back. That's right. So if you're wondering why you suddenly feel compelled to talk once you're in that chair, I mean, I think everyone, men, women, they, them, it doesn't matter we've all been in like a hairstylist chair. We've all needed a trim, right? Why do you feel so compelled to talk once you're in that chair? So there's actually an answer to this. Part of that reason has to do with the physically intimate and nurturing nature of hairstyling and the salon environment itself. So when people, especially people socialized as women, are having their hair done or any other personal service done for that matter, we actually release a hormone called oxytocin. I'm sure a lot of you know about it. It's released in other contexts as well, but it's released by our endocrine systems. And oxytocin is the bonding hormone released when new mothers give birth. And being touched consensually by someone else in a caring way releases this oxytocin and reduces our cortisol levels, therefore minimizing our stress, along with lowering blood pressure and our heart rate while enhancing our sense of well-being. It's a good hormone. Right. So, but unbeknownst to us, you know, if someone is touching your hair in a therapeutic way, this kind of has the added benefits, thanks to highly sensitive nerve endings at the base of the hair follicles, which trigger the release of endorphins. And if you're a fan of a good head massage uh, or a good wash, who do, like, here's the thing. I don't think anyone, Jack and I share this bond. We hate getting our nails done. Oh yeah. But I don't hate getting my hair done. I will admit like, there's nothing like getting shampooed right? Mm. Like as awkward as it is, the goodness of how it feels overpowers that for me. Right. A lot of people don't think about like your relationship with your hairstylist, like how deep it is. When I was in hair school, we did a whole series about relationships because everything is connected. So we also learned about human interaction. When you get your haircut, chemically, you are getting a bond, but people don't realize it because it's Haircutting is a very intimate situation. We are in close proximity. I am shampooing you. So if I ask you how your day is, you're more inclined to tell me than you normally would. So people trust their hairstylists with highly personal information to such an extent that in some countries, initiatives have been introduced. And these help hairstylists appropriately support clients who literally disclose in their chair that they're experiencing family or gender-based violence or coercive control. And of course, a client may not even have to say a word if they're experiencing family violence. Sometimes bruises and injuries to the scalp and head can say it all to the hairstylist. Right. And all of this is interesting to know and worth noting because we're circling back to Cassie now and her job and one client she had in particular. So we're going to focus on Andrew Hudson. So Cassie first met Andrew around 2012 And he eventually became one of Cassie's long-term regulars. So over the next five years, she cut his hair every three weeks. That's more than most people see their families, more than most people see their friends. In COVID times, more than most people see their coworkers, right? Like once every three weeks, she's seeing him in a prolonged matter in a vulnerable situation, right? And oftentimes, Andrew would bring his girlfriend, Anna, along with him to his hair appointment. They also had three kids and they would come too. So 
Cassie cut Andrew's hair while our coworker cut the hair of one of Andrew's sons. We're looking at a picture of Andrew. I mean, he looks like just Joe whoever to me. Yeah, every other white guy with brown hair. Receding hairline. Yeah, he's just Joe whatevs. Not bad looking, not horrible looking, not good looking. He's whatever. If he had a good personality, like maybe I'd be as, I don't know. (laughs) They would come in on Wednesdays and it would be like every three to four weeks. And they would come in towards the end of the night. We closed at eight. They'd come at like seven. And me and my coworker loved it when they came because we knew we were going to get like a good tip. And we were going to go to the bar afterwards so we could have like mozzarella sticks, a shot and a beer, you know? So as Cassie got to know Andrew better, she regularly saw more of Anna and their kids at the shop. And from what Cassie knew, Anna was a great mom and she didn't take crap from anybody. And of course, being in the hair business, one of the first things that Cassie noticed about Anna's appearance was her incredible, naturally long, dark hair. I'm jealous. Have you seen her hair? It is long and it is beautiful. She just wore it in a little pony. She seemed like the person that like, do no harm, but take no shit kind of vibe. One Wednesday, my coworker was cutting his youngest son's hair, who was still in the booster seat. So I'm going to say maybe he was four years old. He said a joke that was inappropriate. And me, my coworker, and Andrew just start busting out laughing. It was so left field. And she looked at her son and she's like, do we talk like that in public? Do we talk like that at all? And he's like, no, mom. And then we all just like stopped laughing. She was very honest with her kids. Eventually, Andrew started to open up and told Cassie all about the ups and downs of his relationship. And it sounded far from a happy one. And when things weren't great, it wasn't something Andrew kept a secret. He even mentioned to Cassie at some point that things had gotten violent between the two of them. So they started dating when they were 14. This is what Andrew told me. And they were on again, off again. So sometimes they were together, sometimes they weren't. I knew she worked at a factory. I don't know which one. And he had a couple jobs. I remember he used to build concert stages, but he had probably a couple, I want to say a couple jobs. So when they weren't together, he would come in on like a Saturday with his kids. So you knew when they were together, it would be a Wednesday. He always seemed kind of irritated. He was nice to me. I felt like he always kind of had a lot on his plate. He told me about his domestic charge against Anna. He lost a brother to suicide when he was younger. If his truck broke, I heard about that. So throughout the years, you hear the good and the bad. Cassie and Andrew eventually became friends on Facebook, and their friendship was now kind of a friendship that they could joke around with each other. I thought he was funny. I used to actually, like, mock him because his Facebook kind of reminded me of, like, a young teenage girl. (laughs) There's, like, quotes. And they have, like, inspirational quotes, and there's something, like, in the background. So, like, my birthday, he tipped me, and he said, buy yourself a beer. And we were Facebook friends, so I, like, sent him a picture of my beer, and I was like, thanks for my beer. But then things got really weird and pretty inappropriate. So Cassie and Andrew were chatting online one day about the June solar eclipse, which Cassie apparently was excited about. And Andrew eventually sent her a video about it, and she watched it. And right at the end, something completely unsolicited and extremely unwelcomed appeared on the screen. I was so excited about that. He sent me a video on that day of the eclipse because I didn't see it because I was at work and I watched it. And then it was like 
the eclipse, and then it was like a penis on the screen. And I said, you, and he said, I know you liked it. And I said, I like you less. I'm pretty grossed out by that. Dude, why, why are men? Like, why, why do men have to send dick pics? Like, we don't want them. We never once, never once have I asked, well, (laughs) unless it's a consensual received dick pic, but like, I also haven't asked even men I'm madly in love with. I don't want it. I don't really want it. I don't think that any woman in the history or any person that has received an unsolicited dick pic saw that dick pic and was like, yes, I'm into him. Exactly what I was hoping for. Yeah. No, they're like, if I was crushing a little bit, it's over now. Yeah. And by the way, like in some jurisdictions, sending an unsolicited dick pic is illegal. Just so you know. Big risk to do it. Stop doing it. We don't want it. So anyway, back to early September of 2017. This is when our first degree Cassie heard something kind of unexpected, something that blew her away. It turns out Anna Carrillo, the same Anna as Cassie's client Andrews, girlfriend, on and off, ex-girlfriend, whatever, she was missing. It was all over the news. Anna was so well loved. They knew she was missing within 12 hours. The roommate was like, it's three o'clock in the afternoon and she's not back. That's not right. And then Andrew was like calling people and like knocking on people's doors, asking where Anna was because she never picked up the children. What was behind Anna's disappearance? She hadn't taken the kids. So where did she go? To answer these questions, you know the drill. We got to go back. Like Cassie said, Anna Marie Correa worked in a factory in Wyoming, sometimes up to 60 hours a week to provide for her kids, who were aged between 16 and 8 years old. And Anna came from a big blended family herself. She was the oldest of four kids, born around 1982 to her parents, John and Bertie. And the couple eventually split, Bertie repartnered, and Anna gained two step-siblings as a result of that repartnering. And Anna was super family-oriented, and you can tell from looking at photos of her with her family that she loved spending quality time with them. They look like just down-to-earth people. She looks like she's a good time. She's, like, always laughing. She so looks sweet. super fun. Like, she's just literally always grinning, like, no inhibitions with her smile. She looks happy. So Anna and Andrew had been dating since junior high. And around 2001, Anna gave birth to the couple's first child with their third and youngest child completing the family in 2009. But things weren't always happy between the two. During the course of the relationship, Andrew was convicted twice for assaulting Anna. Right. And the first time was in 2004 when Anna's sister Melinda saw marks on Anna made by Andrew during an argument about one of the kids. Apparently, Andrew punched Anna several times in the head, causing her to fall to the ground. And the second conviction in 2014 arose out of an attack that occurred while Anna was pregnant with the couple's youngest child. That time, Andrew stopped one of the kids from calling 911 after he'd punched Anna about 15 times and held her in a headlock, all in front of their children. So naturally, Cassie wasn't made aware of the severity of the abuse going on in this relationship. All she knew was what Andrew casually shared with her while he was at the barber shop, And he wouldn't be sharing anything that made him look bad, of course. 
In the summer of 2017, Anna broke off the relationship due to Andrew's abusive and controlling behavior and moved in with her friend Connie. Anna and Andrew ended up co-parenting, but didn't reveal much about the abuse to her own family. But as we all know, the most dangerous time for a woman escaping family violence is immediately after she leaves. And Anna's situation was no exception. She moved out because she was done. Apparently the abuse was still going on and her kids knew about it, but Anna told her kids, don't say anything to grandma. It's okay. It'll be all right. So her kids didn't say anything until she was missing. And that's when the family like found out the abuse was, it wasn't just that one time. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I think that we all know if you're feeling your best, you feel like you can do great things, you can take over the freaking world. But sometimes life gets you bogged down and makes you feel overwhelmed and it makes you feel like you can't show up and be the best version of yourself. So working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. And when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws at you. I know when I'm not feeling my best, talking with somebody makes me feel so much better. Getting out there, maybe exercising, uh, you know, it makes you feel better. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part is you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash first degree today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash first degree, betterhelp.com slash first degree. So mine and Jared's schedules have been absolutely freaking bonkers, but we're finally going to have some downtime at home. And I'm so excited to start. Well, I'm so excited to have Jared start cooking because I can't cook. And we're doing that with Home Chef. I'll be a sous chef. So Home Chef makes your nightly routine so much easier and so much more exciting with a wide selection of delicious meals that arrive at your doorstep in the form of fresh, perfectly pre-proportioned ingredients and an easy to follow recipe card. And they have over 30 unique and flavorful chef curated meal options each week. And Home Chef ensures your taste buds will literally never get bored. And if you're looking to master the art of cooking, you can check out their classic meal kit options, complete with chef-written step-by-step instructions. I'm going to have to follow those exactly because, like I said, I am a bad cook. And if you don't have time to cook, you can have hot, delicious meals on the table with a snap with their 15-minute recipes. So for a limited time only, go to homechef.com slash first for 75% off your first box. That is a good deal. Again, go to homechef.com slash first for 75% off. On September 3rd, 2017, just before 8 a.m., Anna asked her roommate Connie if she could borrow her red Chevy to go pick up her kids from Andrew's place. So they'd spent the previous night at their dad's house, so she was going to pick the kids up. So she only expected to be gone for about 20 minutes. But when Anna didn't arrive, Andrew became worried. So Anna never shows up to get her kids. That's what's going on here. And then at around 1.30 p.m., Andrew called Anna's mom and told her that Anna never arrived to pick up the kids. They eventually went to Anna's mom's house, and the situation escalated into a hostile argument. And it ended up with Andrew threatening to call CPS on Anna. Right. And as soon as Andrew and his mom left the home of Anna's mom, she tried to call her daughter. You know, she tried to reach Anna, but couldn't. 
And this is alarming. No one can reach Anna at this point. No one knows where Anna is. It's so uncharacteristic of Anna to not pick up her own children, right? So Anna's mom is driving around looking for her. And Andrew is also making the rounds looking for Anna also. And Andrew at this point apparently goes to a friend of Anna's to see if she could be there. And then calls Anna's sister, Melinda, also. Everyone's shocked to hear that she's missing. No one knows what to think. One of the friends was like, yeah, he came over and he seemed really worried. Like he was shaken, he was nervous. He's concerned. Anna's mom was worried sick. She didn't know why anybody would want to harm Anna. She was a great mom, sister, friend, and devoted daughter who would never just take off and leave her kids. And by 3 p.m., Anna hadn't returned home and her roommate Connie was worried also. Like this is so uncharacteristic from every angle. And Anna wasn't responding to any of Connie's text messages. So around 9 p.m., Connie reported Anna missing. And the same evening, police located the car that Anna had been driving. And remember, this is Connie's car, the car that she lent to Anna to go pick up her kids. And the unlocked red 2013 Ford-Door Chevy Impala was abandoned in the parking lot of the St. John Vianney Church with the keys still in the ignition. But the vehicle's location did raise some questions because it was only a few blocks away from Andrew's home. Police questioned Andrew to see if he knew anything about the Chevy being so close by, but he didn't. They did the answer and they found it right on Andrew's neighborhood. Like there was a church. I don't know if it was on the same street or the next street over, but it was right there. Right from the start, Anna's family thought something very strange was going on. The driver's seat in the car had been pushed all the way back. It was all the way down. The whole thing was very odd, and beyond that, extremely worrisome. When they opened up the car door, the seat was all the way back. And she was short. I think they said 5'2", so she did not drive with her seat all the way pushed back. And by this point, Anna's family was extremely suspicious that Andrew was involved in whatever was going on. But Andrew retaliated by accusing Connie of knowing where Anna was. He also told Anna's family that he hired a private investigator to follow Anna following their breakup, but there's nothing really to indicate whether this is true or not. Right. And Andrew maintained he had no idea where Anna was, despite admitting to arguing with her on the phone the morning she planned to pick up the kids. And Andrew had also gotten into his head that Anna and Connie were dating. So he was suspecting that his ex-girlfriend was in this relationship with her roommate, Connie. So everybody was looking at Andrew and Andrew was like, I hired a private investigator and she's into drugs and she's in a new relationship. And I don't think that was ever proven. He said that the private investigator like saw them doing drugs and making out. Nobody could prove that there was a private investigator. Nobody could have proved they were doing drugs or making out. So this whole thing was complete speculation with no basis, in fact, at all. And if even if it was true, who cares if Anna got into a relationship with somebody else? She was no longer with Andrew, so it was really none of his fucking business. And it was also weird that while Anna was still missing, Andrew seemed really intent on speaking really badly about her. Like, it was the appropriate time to be bashing her. And just like Anna's family, the police immediately considered her disappearance suspicious as well. Based on all they could see, this was not a woman who was spacey or flaky. Like, this is a woman who shows up for her kids. And following Connie's report, 
a responding police officer went to Andrew's house to speak with him. And he saw Andrew had lit a fire in a burn barrel on his back patio. And that struck the officer as odd. Andrew ultimately told this officer that he was only burning yard waste and similar items. But nevertheless, this officer doing their job took all these items in for evidence. The cops got involved fairly quickly. 12 hours later, the cops went to his house and he was like, it's the middle of the night and he had like a fire going in his burn barrel. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, you know, I'm just doing yard work in the darkness. Like he said, he was throwing away yard waste. Two days after Anna went missing, police executed a search warrant at Andrew's residence and he cooperated fully. Officers interviewed Andrew's family and his neighbors, but as the day turned into night, it was very clear that investigators were just getting started. On the floor in upright cabinets in Andrew's basement, luminol testing lit up 16 bloodstains. And more bloodstains were found on the front of the kitchen sink and towels in a dryer. And streaks and smears indicated someone had tried to clean some of the stains on the kitchen cabinets and at the bottom of the stairs. And more luminol testing on the interior of Andrew's truck revealed traces of blood in his toolbox inside as well. And obviously, in situations like this, we always jump to the conclusion that it's probably the person's spouse or, in this case, their ex that's responsible. But law enforcement does know that they need to keep an open mind about every possible theory. For Cassie... It was a bizarre feeling seeing her client's house plastered all over these TV news reports. And it turns out, Andrew had one of those really odd, dated 1990s kitchens with the maple-colored wood, and that really sticks out for her. It was weird because it was really close to the barber shop. It didn't look like a bad house. Just a tan house with a basketball hoop, and then you see his kitchen, and it was a weird setup. Like many other locals, Cassie was following the wall-to-wall media coverage closely as Anna's family literally took to the streets handing out flyers. I followed all of it, and there was constant news coverage. Everybody in the barbershop followed it. Everybody in the city of Wyoming followed it. I cannot express enough how much support there was in the community. It was mind-blowing. And I'm telling you, everybody came out of the woodwork. Her family was huge, and you can see, like, all the news conferences. It's packed. The community, her family, like, they had bracelets, they had billboards, they had shirts, they had hats, they had buttons. Within 48 hours of her missing, they were not messing around. So the police looked into Andrew's phone records, and they looked to the date that Anna went missing. And they found that he was actually at a place called Johnson Park. So Andrew had spent a significant amount of time there that day, and that's suspicious, right? So police launched one of the largest searches for a missing person in the area's history at this park. But despite that, they found nothing. And meanwhile, Andrew was cooperating. He publicly offered to turn over security footage from his house as proof that Anna never arrived there. He also told investigators that he already gave the memory cards for the camera to his dad, Lyle. And then the next day, he had a Facebook status. It said, everybody wants to blame me for a missing person. That's cool. Cops searched my house. They have nothing. Good thing I've got cameras on the house. Oh, and she never showed up. So there's my proof. I have cameras to prove it. So a guilty person doesn't offer up evidence that could possibly incriminate them, do they? Well, no, they shouldn't at least. But just five days later, Andrew was arrested and charged with lying to police during the initial phase of this investigation. 
And it got worse. By now, police had examined the partially burnt contents of the burn barrel, and they had found something really disturbing. Not only had Andrew burnt clothes, but inside the barrel were zippers and buttons with Aeropostal branding. They were consistent with the white fur-lined zip-up sweater and thermal shirt that Anna had been wearing. Other clothing remnants, including clasps and underwire from a bra. Right, and three days later, on September 11th, both Andrew and his father, 62-year-old Lyle Hudson, they were both charged with felony perjury for lying to law enforcement early on in the investigation. So... Andrew's involved his family in this, you know, that's something worth noting. And Andrew was additionally charged with providing false information about his own movements on the day Anna disappeared, and also the whereabouts of his kids at the time Anna went missing. Lyle had given police two memory cards from Andrew's security camera. He said he watched the footage from a third, now missing memory card, which was in the camera the day that Anna disappeared, but he said that there was nothing relevant on the card. Lyle also lied about the nature of the contact he had with Andrew on the day that Anna disappeared. So Lyle waived an opportunity at a plea deal, which would require him to cooperate with the investigation into his son. Both men pleaded not guilty, but if convicted, they were each facing a potential life sentence. And Lyle was eventually released on $50,000 bond, but Andrew remained in custody on $200,000 bond. Police now announced they suspected foul play in Anna's disappearance. This is a big deal. And they're also publicly naming Andrew as a suspect. Then just over a month later, on October 12th, Andrew was charged with Anna's murder and tampering with evidence. Even though police still didn't have a body, the thought that Andrew was involved made Cassie's blood run cold. I grew up in a small town, and when I started working at this barbershop, my eyes got opened real big. Like, you meet all sorts of people. Like, I met a professional tree climber. I didn't know that was the job. I met a guy who worked on helicopters. And then you meet a murderer. I felt very creeped out because we offer a shampoo with every service. So I've, I've run my fingers through a murderer's hair, and that makes me cringe. The very next day, there was another development. Andrew's 63-year-old mom, Nancy, and Lyle's common-law wife, 57-year-old Angela Wilson, were both charged with perjury for lying to investigators. So I'm going to just clear that up. Andrew's mom and stepmom are charged with helping him cover this up. It's bizarro because I can't imagine my mom and stepmom ever getting aligned about anything. They, they've never even met. That is so wild. Right? These people are actually, like, willing to break the law for Andrew. Like, the... It's, it's kind of wild. Yeah. And Nancy apparently had lied to police, Nancy's his mom, about where Andrew had been the day Anna went missing. So essentially providing a false alibi, which is kind of nuts. Both women pleaded not guilty. And Angela was also staring down the barrel of a tampering with evidence charge for erasing her cell phone to prevent police from obtaining her call and text history and location information. They were going to get their phone confiscated and they reset all of their cell phones. So when the police got them, there was nothing on them. No phone numbers, no photos. It was a blank iPhone. So many people, including Cassie, formed this view that because Andrew was too gutless to do his dirty work on his own, he chose to involve members of his family. They think that they helped with hiding, not the actual attack, but covering what he did. So as far as like roping his family into this whole thing. I actually don't see it 
that way. I just, I think that we get who we are from family. And the only reason he felt empowered to do this is because he had a family that would allow it. Because I think I've talked to you about this, Jack, that my mom is an attorney and she was like, if you fucking break the law, I'm turning you in. Yeah. Like that's, that's some shit that comes from the top of like your family chain. And if this person feels empowered to do this and they know that the family will cover for him, he's going to do it. No, for sure. It is just so crazy with the mom and the stepmom. Like that's, we talk about this so many times in episodes where it's like, how can two crazy people find each other? Like how, how can two people that are so capable of doing something so terrible, find each other. And this is almost as bad. It's like, how can this person have a family that will do so many illegal things to cover up the fact that he fucking murdered somebody? Like it is so wild. Yeah. The mother of his children and that they would get on board with that, given that they're the grandparents of these children. You know, it's crazy. And again, it's like, do you think all you people are going to get away with this shit? Like, are you serious? You never do. You never do. And now you just are throwing yourself in jail too. Totally. So Jared and I live in a very small apartment and there's literally not room for any storage whatsoever. And you know what takes up a lot of room that I really just don't need in my life? Laundry detergent. They come in these massive, inconvenient, messy plastic jugs that get all over the place. And not to mention, 91% of those jugs don't get recycled and just end up in landfills. And you know what? I can't stop doing laundry, but I can make the switch to EarthBreeze, and I have recently, and I love it. So EarthBreeze laundry detergent eco sheets look like dryer sheets, but they're not. They dissolve 100% in any wash cycle, hot or cold, and you don't have to measure, and you don't have to make any mess. You just toss them in, and you're ready to go. So Earth Breeze packaging is compact, biodegradable, and plastic-free, and their eco-sheets are vegan, cruelty-free, and dermatologically tested for safe and sensitive skin. I love them so much. I've been using them, and they're so easy to store, and then I don't get all this messy, gross laundry detergent residue everywhere. So if you want to check out Earth Breeze, now is the time, because right now our listeners can subscribe and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash first to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash first for 40% off. Earthbreeze.com com slash first. You know, I've got a lot of redeeming qualities. I'm pretty good at some things, but something that I really, really suck at is cooking. I suck at cooking, but HelloFresh makes me feel like I'm an actual chef and I kind of love it. So if you want to skip the grocery store and take control of your time and budget with delicious restaurant quality recipes delivered right to your door, you need to check out HelloFresh. So if you're looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year, HelloFresh is a great place to get started. It's cheaper than grocery store shopping and 25% cheaper than takeout. And with over 35 weekly recipes, they have some options that you're looking for to help you achieve your goals. You can choose calorie smart or carb smart recipes, or even customize select meals by swapping proteins or sides, upgrading your proteins or adding protein to a veggie dish. Jared and I love using HelloFresh because we can kind of make this really cute date night and drink some wine and it's super, super fun. So go to hellofresh.com slash first 21 and use code first 21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com com slash first 21 with code first 21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. At Andrew Hudson's preliminary hearing on November 8th for the murder of his ex, Anna Carrillo, Anna's family turned out in force. According to WOODTV, a few days before Anna went missing, she got into an argument with Andrew at his place. So during the incident, her phone 
went missing. So she had to borrow another phone in the days after. Anna's roommate, Connie, told the court that before Anna left to drive to Andrews, that Connie heard them yelling and arguing on the phone. And this was right before she went to go get the kids, quote unquote, and she would ultimately disappear. The court heard that when Andrew asked Anna to come pick up the kids, the children were actually at his mom's place. But it's not clear when Andrew dropped them off or whether he still had them when he texted Anna the night before. And the stunning revelations about this case were going to come and keep coming, right? So apparently Andrew's brother, Jamie, and Jamie's wife, Jessica, testified against the accused man, which would be Andrew, telling the court that four days after Anna's disappearance, Jamie convened a family meeting at Andrew's place saying, I wanted answers for myself. I wanted to know whether pretty much whether my brother was guilty of this crime or not. So while Anna was missing, you know, Andrew's family was suspecting that he was involved and they were going to confront him about this. And that's what Jamie's talking about. So Jamie, Andrew's brother, when he told the court, when he asked Andrew if there was anything he needed to tell them about Anna's disappearance, his brother's response was to the effect of, if they find the body, I'm fucked. And Jamie and his wife Jessica's explanation about why they didn't immediately go to the police with this information was because they didn't want to be in the middle of it. However, they both cooperated with investigators when they were later subpoenaed. And this whole time, Anna's family were still desperately hoping for news in the search of Anna, in the search of her body. They, they wanted, like, to bury her, and they, they wanted to honor her. And even though they didn't know it, the same day Andrew's hearing started was the second day of yet another search for Anna's remains. In consultation with the defense and with Andrew assisting as part of a potential plea deal, officers searched the Johnson Park area near Veterans Memorial Drive and Maynard Ave in Millennium Park. Andrew said that Anna's body was by a boat dock in Johnson Park, but nothing of any significance was found. And then on the afternoon of November 9th, the day after Andrew's preliminary hearing began, Anna's body was found by officers. And after receiving updated information from Andrew, Anna's remains were found in a totally different location to where law enforcement had been searching in the previous two days. And her body was in a shallow grave and wrapped in plastic, which is awful awful. So the burial site was located in a wooded area along McGuire Avenue near Three Mile Road northeast of Grand Rapids. And this is right where Andrew's mother, Nancy, lived. But finally, Anna's desperate family could finally bring her home. I read that the kids were at his mom's house. And that is later where they found her body where she was buried. So I don't know if the kids were in his mother's house while he was burying their mother. I know that the family was very happy with the police work. I know that's not always the case, but they were very happy with what the police did. The police returned their family member back, and that's all they wanted. Despite the grisly find, Andrew pleaded not guilty and waived the rest of his preliminary hearing. He was bound over to stand trial in Kent County Circuit Court and would be held without bail. It felt very eerie because the only time he showed emotion, like true emotion, I thought, was during that. His voice was above a whisper, and he just looks straight ahead, or he looks down. And when he talks, you can't really hear him. At the end, I like, Andrew, would you like to say anything? He said he was sorry for what he did. And then he was done. It was really sad because she had three children, and whenever there was cameras around, her mom was speaking. And she was like, 
how do you tell these children that their mom's gone? She's like, that's not fair. That's not fair to me. It's not fair to them. And then what are you supposed to say? Oh, your dad hurt your mom? That's not right. That's not okay. When the crime scene photos were made public, Cassie felt even more sickened for Anna's family. Before, when I was talking to Andrew, we were just talking about, I don't know, something to do with his house. And he told me he was obsessed with Michigan football. And he had the yellow M on his basement floor. And I remember watching and I remember seeing like, like I knew that was his basement. The concrete floor with a yellow M and it was like a blue floor. And the basement was unfinished. Just old furniture down there. I think they had like a wash sink down there, which they found blood in. You see the M, but you see like aluminum everywhere. It was very sad. But you see his haphazard cleanup. When the case went to court, prosecutors alleged that Andrew set a trap for Anna, luring her to his house and then ambushing her. On the morning she disappeared, Andrew asked Anna to come pick up the kids from his place. After that, they had an argument on the phone. And Anna didn't know it, but the kids weren't even there. They were at Andrew's mom's Nancy's house. Andrew lured Anna into his basement and he stabbed her in the neck before heading to Johnson Park to scout for places to dump her body. And ultimately, Andrew transported Anna's body to his mom Nancy's house where he buried it in the backyard where she had been doing landscaping. Andrew then returned home where he burnt Anna's clothes and attempted to clean up the crime scene before abandoning Anna's car in the church parking lot. I know she was down in his basement. The way his house is set up, you can either go downstairs or upstairs. And they believe that he ambushed her, like she opened up the door and then he stabbed her in the neck. So Andrew obviously thought he could outsmart the cops, but it turns out he's an idiot when it comes to covering his tracks, at least electronically, right? Police never recovered the memory card that Andrew gave to his dad, Lyle, to dispose of. But his attempts to edit the footage from his security cameras were unsuccessful. And even though the crime was quote-unquote planned, Despite appearing as a spur-of-the-moment thing, it appears that Andrew didn't put much thought into covering his tracks at all. That is, if he was even trying to do so. There's some blood up in the kitchen, but most of the blood, I believe, was in the basement. And then there was some blood found in the back of his truck. But he had one of those video cameras, and he edited it so, like, time chunk was gone so he thought he was in the clear he's like you can look at my video cameras not a big deal she's not on there well apparently he didn't know that like cops can tell if you edit if you cut out time out of the camera in early december of 2017 andrew was given two weeks to decide whether he'd take a plea agreement of second degree murder on december 18th andrew pleaded guilty to the reduced charge and tampering with evidence on the condition that all charges were dropped against his parents and his stepmom Anna's family was satisfied with the plea deal because it meant that they could finally bring her home. Outside the court, Anna's mom told the Michigan Live, you don't take people away from their family. Who does that? He can rot in hell. That's all I've got to say. On January 18th, 2018, 39-year-old Andrew was sentenced to concurrent terms of 40 to 100 years in prison. He'll be eligible for parole when he's 79 years old. And custody of Anna's kids went to her sister, Melinda. And of course, all three of them are now without either of their parents, which is horrible. Heartbreaking. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. And Andrew will at least get to see them grow up from a distance, but Anna never will. Last time I cut Andrew's hair, we talked about his oldest son. His 
oldest son was kind of going through a little rebellious stage. And then I guess he was at his mom's funeral and he told his mom that he was going to turn his life around. He was going to go back to school. He was going to be a good brother. Cassie has her own theory on why Andrew took the brutal step of killing Anna. So Anna moved out and I think he was just aggravated. I think he was just done or mad at her for maybe like actually moving out. Because I know they were on and off again, but I don't know how long she ever like stayed away. I think he was just mad that she finally moved on. I don't think he's a good man. You just don't know people like you think you do. I feel like I knew a lot about Andrew. Seen him through the years, watched his children grow up. But at the same time, maybe it's because I knew about the domestic violence. So I can't say like I was mind blown when I found out like he did kill her. So I don't know if that altered my decision on how I felt. You know how they talk about there's all those terms, but there's one of them that talks about control and they like control that they can't let things go. Maybe he's one of those because he clearly couldn't let Anna move on or be happy. It's still a bit surreal for Cassie, who still grapples with the knowledge that she had intimate contact with a murderer. The word is very eerie. Because it's like, I know this man. I know of her. The kids I know. How he got his parents involved. Like, my mom would kick my ass. She would drive me to the police station if I did anything wrong. It is very weird because I heard about the fights and I heard about the good times. And supposedly he loved Anna. I don't think you did, because how do you kill somebody you love? You didn't love her. There's few things as spine-chilling as the knowledge that you not only know a killer, but have had ongoing physical contact with them. Your skin crawls, and you can't help but feel betrayed by your instincts, which you feel should have raised intuitive red flags in your gut in the first place. But because evil comes in all forms, people only show us the face they want us to see. Everything about this crime was so incredibly selfish, so incredibly self-serving. Andrew didn't just kill Anna. He tried to get away with it. He lied to his kids. He got his parents involved, which we acknowledge is on them. But in the process, he's destroyed so much, including two families. His sole concern about the body being found was how much trouble he'd be in. He had no regard for Anna's family, for Anna, their kids, or anything else. So pleading guilty so your parents don't go to jail over something you caused is a charitable thing, I guess, for a sociopath to do. I think he's trying to uh, resurrect some, like, fraction of decency. I don't know. It's it's a... Uh, yes. It's bizarre. But it's just a pity that Andrew couldn't extend that charity to the mother of his own children and allow Anna to live the rest of her life on just her own terms, you know? Killing this woman is so senseless and deranged. And now you've traumatized your children, you've ruined your own life, and everyone around Anna is is devastated and traumatized and looks at life differently now because of you.
Well, a huge thank you to Cassie for being our first free guest again. Um, if you are listening and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first Follow us on Instagram. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Join our Patreon for brand new bonus content every single week and come back tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Gemma Harris. Sources for this episode are Wood TV 8, News Channel 3, Wish TV, MemorialAlternatives.com, Fox 17, The Detroit Free Press, MichiganLive.com, WGRD 97.9, Mix 95.7, West Michigan, WZZM 13 News, Psychology Today, SBS News, SheKnows.com, The Guardian, and People Magazine. And as always... Our first three guest is always our largest source. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Bettys.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com.